Well, praise God. It's good to see everybody. Amen? It's good to see everybody loves Bible study. Love getting into the Word. Amen? I'll tell you what, there's nothing that will transform a life, make you strong in the Lord, make you never slip away, make you never go back into the world, than Bible study. Studying God's Word together. Amen? Because I'll tell you, there's something real special about us getting together and just studying. Something about us being together. Personal devotion's great. We all, every one of us need it. But boy, there's nothing like just getting together and breaking open God's Word as a family of believers. It's just one of the most, most awesome things that they've been doing since the beginning of the church age. You know, Acts tells us that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church... It said that they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching and their doctrine. Well, how'd they do that? They all just got together just like this, and they listened to what the apostles taught about the doctrines of the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. God has not gone... He has not been found unfaithful. He is a faithful God. He has given us the Scriptures. He has given us a witness and a testimony... And it is true, amen? Amen. amen? We're living in a generation that is trying to convince those around us that what we have in our hands tonight is nothing but a fable or a fairy tale or philosophy from another age. But this is the Word of God. Yeah. It is the inspired Word of God and it is alive, amen? Amen. It's alive. It's living. I mean, it's living. It's not just a book. You know, D.L. Moody said, I know that the Bible's inspired because it inspires me. I've never read another book like this. You can be a Jane Austen fan. You can be, uh, you know, you can read Mark Twain. You can read all the great classics. You can read Plato till your hair falls out. But nothing will move you like the scriptures. Because it's not a normal book. It's a book that's alive. It's inspired. Praise God. And not only that, men have bled and died. That we might hold this book in our hands tonight. This is not a book that was just given to us by convenience. Great price has been paid. That we might be able to sit here tonight in the freedom to assemble, but also to have the preserved Word of God. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's go over to the preserved Word of God into the book of 1 John. That's where we've been studying together. And we'll just start off reading in verse 11 of chapter 3. And we'll we'll read all the way down to verse 24. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Or why did he slay him? 
because his own works were evil and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. And whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and but who, excuse me, but whoso hath this world's good, and sees his brother have need, and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us the commandment. And he that keeps his commandments dwells in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that, we, that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. Hallelujah. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So I'm reading from the King James Bible. And um, you guys have heard me stand in my pulpit many times in these studies about this particular Bible version, and sometimes it can be a little challenging, um, but I believe that the words are precise. I believe 400 years ago when they chose these words, I believe they were inspired to choose these words. I don't believe they just tried to take a English word that fit the Greek word. If you read your, if you do some research on the reason why they pick these words, they pick these words because of not only the definition of how it coincided with the original languages, but also the way it flowed. This translation has a particular flow. It's the best translation for memorization. One of the best way, things you can do for your Christian life is to memorize scripture. And there's no other version that you can memorize easier than this King James Bible. And they particularly chose it for its um, the way it flowed as you were speaking. And um, it was the seventh English translation given to us. There were others that were close. But King James told those guys, when you guys have a problem with what to use, which versions to use. He said, I want you to stick to the version that Tyndale put together, William Tyndale. Because William Tyndale 
was crucified, burned to a stake, because back then the Roman church made it illegal for the Bible to be translated in any other language but the Latin. See, religion doesn't like people to have the word of God in their hands. Religious people want them to tell you what God is saying. But what did the Lord say in chapter 2? He said, we have a what? An unction. We have an anointing. Then we need not man to teach us. But Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he shall teach you all things. Amen. So the religion doesn't want the Bible in people's hands because they want to tell you what God is saying or doing. But the Holy Spirit wants to tell you what God is doing and what God is saying. Amen. And so and so the word of God, the scriptures, when they were translated into the English language, Martin Luther put it in the German language. William Tyndale put it in the English language. The great. Revival hit all of Europe. That's why we have the Reformation, because they took this word and got it into the common language of men. And so when William Tyndale was tied up to the stake and they were stacking the wood, this was his final prayer before he was taken up into glory. He said, Lord, open the king's eyes. That was his last prayer. He said, open the king's eyes. And the next king that England had was King James, and he put out a decree that there was going to be an English Bible that was going to be authorized and distributed across the entire land. Hallelujah. And it's been going strong. It's still into print 400 years from now. You can't find another translation on the Christian bookstore on Amazon. They don't even have Family Christian Bookstore anymore. They closed the shop. If you went to Family Christian Bookstore, you wouldn't find a translation on there that was over 100 years old. Why? Because they just come and go. But this thing has stuck. It has changed men's hearts for over 400 years. And it's still changing my heart, praise God. Now, listen. In chapter 3, he's moving in from, we saw last week, how, remember, John is putting up an argument here because there's a lot of fake Christians in the world. How many know there's a lot of fake Christians in the world? You got fake news, don't you? Well, you got fake Christians. You got fake gospel. Paul said, if there be another gospel, there really is no other gospel. But if it be any other gospel than the one I'm preaching, it's a fake gospel. Amen? So... John was writing in the last days of his life to the believers to give them some, some beacons, some signs, some, some ways of identifying people that were not really who they say they were. And what we learned in the first part of chapter 3 was, is if you got a brother or a sister that's going around saying that they're a born-again believer full of the Holy Ghost, and they continually practice sin. That's that word we learned last week. You know, it's one thing to fall into sin and repent and get forgiven and move on. It's another thing to practice sin or to commit to sin or habitually sin. Totally different. All right. 
So if you've got somebody that's going around professing that they're of Christ and they're just, their life hasn't changed. They're not trying to stop going to the clubs. They're not trying to stop smoking marijuana. They're not trying to stop taking pills. They're not trying to, you know, settle down and, and marry the person that they're with and, and, you know, and start a wholesome marriage together that's sanctified, that the marriage bed is sanctified. If they're, if they're fighting, if they still like to beat people up, if they still like to go to the store and rob and steal, and they can't, they have no, no unction within them that says, you got to stop this. You know, I remember when I first got saved, the first thing that went out of my mouth, the cussing machine, God took a sledgehammer to the cussing machine. Now, I still crave cigarettes. He dealt with that later on. But I can tell you what, the minute I was born again and committed my heart to the Lord, God took a sledgehammer to the cussing machine. Now, if anybody's ever served in the United States Navy, you know cussing was second nature. Well, you're a sailor. You were a sailor. You see? You just, you just did, you know? But that was how I knew, whoa, God's on the move here. There's something different going on in my life. I'm not talking like I used to talk. So we saw in the first ten verses there that those that, um, that continue in sin or practice sin they're not saved, all right? And, and you've heard me and pastors say before, you got to beg somebody to come to church. They're not saved. That's just the bottom line. Now, there could be those that disagree with that, but I'm telling you, those that are really born again with the Word of God, yeah. look at verse 9 of chapter 3 we saw last week. Whoever is born of God does not commit or practice sin. Why? For his seed, whose seed? God's seed, the word, remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. It's impossible. When you are born again with the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, it is impossible to remain in a lifestyle that is of the devil. It's impossible. And so, if you are born of God, you're a what? John said, we saw last week, to them that received him, to them gave he power to become what? The sons of God or the children of God. So we're born into his family. If you were born into a family, how many like, No, you like being around your family. You're comfortable being around your family. If you're not comfortable being with the family of God, you're not of God. If you don't like being with his family, you've got to scratch your head and think, are you his family? If you don't like being with his people, are you his people? That's what I always ask. They didn't have to beg me to come to church. Before I got born again, they used to come to my door and invite me to church, and I would hide under the window seal so they couldn't see me. And they'd knock on the door, and I wouldn't move because I didn't want them to, you know, I didn't want them to see me. I, I was like a like a gecko up against the wall, you know. I didn't want them to see movement in my house, so they would try to, you know, get me to church. But man, when they, when they, when I got born again and filled with the Spirit of God, man, I was out the door on the parking lot. Hey, I'm here, you know. Give me a ride. Who's taking me to church today? 
You know how it is. So anyway, now we have stagnant. We get stagnant. You know, if you've been saved more than five or ten years, you go through times where church seems kind of like you're in a rut. But you know what? I beseech you by the mercies of God, even in the rut, stay faithful. Stay faithful to being with God's people because, man, my, my, my experience is this. The days that I don't really feel like coming to church, and just because I'm the worship leader and the associate here doesn't mean that I wake up every Sunday excited to come to church. Being a pastor or a worship leader, those are gifts. They have nothing to do with Christian character. That's right. Come on. That's right. And there are days when I get up on a Sunday morning and I do not feel like coming. But I'm telling you, them days where you come even when you don't feel like it, oh my God, that's when the glory flows, man. That's when you get touched. God comes out of nowhere. He hits you. He refreshes you. You feel a hundred times better when you leave than when you came. In the days when I'm really excited about coming to church, it's kind of like, all right. Well, I was faithful today. You know, I got the, I ticked the box and, you know, I, I, I didn't miss church on Sunday, you know. And let me tell you, I, I'm really pressing this point today because I tell you, I left America in 1995. I came back in 2010 and I've never seen a, an assault on Sunday morning more than I ever have in my entire life. What's going on in America right now? There is an assault on Sunday morning. I was driving my bus through a neighborhood and it said open house, selling a house, open house. Guess what it was? From Sunday, from 12 to 1.30. Only on Sunday. I'm like, now why can't they show that house on a Saturday? No, because America is starting to fall into an apostasy. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about tonight. All right. Verse 11. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. Wherefore, or why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain and Abel is the first religious war in all of history. Cain and Abel, Abel was the first murder in human history. In the first murder in human history, it didn't come from anything else but a battle over religion. And all through human history, most wars have to do with religion. That's why when you talk to young people or old people or people that have been around for a while, one of the hardnesses of man's heart towards the things of God is religious wars. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Britain, they had the war with Ireland, Catholic versus Protestant, Mm -hmm. which was hardcore over there. The the wars in Ireland were bad, but they were over religion, Mm -hmm. over Protestants and Catholics in Denmark. Denmark was Protestant versus Catholic. You move further down into Southern Europe, it starts being versus Catholic or Christian versus Muslim. 
All right? Roman Catholic versus Greek Orthodox. All these different sects, they're fighting over each other they're for lands and they're killing one another. John, before any of this ever started, if they would have just read 1 John, they would have known they were going off track. Because John says, we're, our first commandment is to love one another. Hey, you may want to sprinkle and you may want to dunk. I'm not going to put a, uh, an axe through your head because you don't like the way I baptize. That's just not God. And that's what they did. And everybody likes to always say, oh, oh, the, the Lutherans were awesome in the, in the Reformation. No, there were, there were Protestants that were just as guilty of bloodshed as there were Catholics. The Anabaptists were absolutely crucified because they didn't believe in infant baptism. They believed that you were, when you were baptized, when you were a believer. But the Lutherans brought over a lot of tradition from the Catholic Church. And infant baptism was one of them. They, they taught that, you know, a person was introduced into the church at infant baptism. The Anabaptists rejected that and the Lutherans killed them for it. What is this? Cain versus Abel. Same spirit. All through the history of mankind, you see Cain versus Abel all over the, the, the thousands of years of history that we have. So what's causing that? Remember what he said in verse 9. Whoever is born of God, his seed remains in him, right? So I want to talk about seed for just a minute if we got some time, all right? Go with me over to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. And if you're taking notes, you can put a heading called Satan's Seed versus Christ's Seed. 315. Genesis 3.15. All right, it says in verse 15, very familiar verse here, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, now we saw that that, that word enmity is the quality that makes one an enemy. Okay? Enmity is the quality that makes someone your enemy. Now, what is the quality that makes somebody Satan's seed. First of all, this is the first prophetic verse of the prophecy of the Messiah coming into the world here in verse 15. Because he says, I will put an enmity or war between thee and the woman. In other words, he's talking talking to the serpent here. I'm going to put a war between the serpent and the woman. What woman is he referring to? He's referring to Eve. And he says, and between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, or the seed of the woman. Now, woman doesn't have seed in natural birth. The the seed comes from the man. So he's prophesying the virgin birth here. Because the Bible says the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, and she 
became pregnant. What, what, what caused her to get pregnant? The seed or the word of God. The word of God was planted in her and she became, you know, the virgin, the virgin birth. That's how it came about. So he's prophesying the line of Christ here, the seed of Christ. Now look at this. It shall bruise thy head. In other words, Christ shall bruise the serpent's head and you shall bruise Christ or his heel. Speaking of the crucifixion. All right. And so that is the first place. So look at now go with me over. Let's deal with Satan's seed for a minute. John 8, 44, talking about the quality that makes one an enemy against God or against Christ's seed. John 8, 44, the gospel of John. Say amen when you're there. Amen. All right, I'm still getting there. John 8, 44. Here we go. Jesus is talking to the religious, or what I like to call the Pharisees or the children of Cain, or what Jesus calls them, the children of the devil. Verse 44. Now, this is religious people here. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from where? The beginning. Which beginning? Cain and Abel. First murder in history. Satan was trying to murder the line of Christ all the way from the beginning. All right? Trying to take out the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15. Why has Satan always tried to take out the messianic line? Because God said all the way in the beginning that this um, Christ will be raised up and he shall crush your head. In other words, the head is the authority. He shall crush your authority. He shall crush your dominion. He shall crush your power. He shall crush your kingdom. He shall take over. And so he's forever tried to take out the seed that was going to take him out. So he says, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, right? And what's the next quality? He abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So three qualities there. One, he's a murderer. Number two, he denies truth. Hath God said, that's what he tried to deceive Eve with, huh? Hath God said you shall not die. So he denies the word. He abides not in truth. And number three, he's a liar. Surely you're not going to die. That's what he said, huh? Hath God said? Try to put doubt on God's word. Doesn't believe the Bible. And speaks lies. So the qualities that we have in the earth today in Satan's seed is they murder, they don't believe the Bible, and they're liars. 
And these are exactly the qualities that John again writes to the church in his epistle about. So these are the qualities of serpent seed. They're murderers. They don't believe the Bible or they don't abide in truth. And they are liars. All right. So that is the, the quality of serpent of the serpent seed. Now, look over in Genesis or not Genesis, sorry, Galatians chapter three. Let's talk about Christ's seed for a minute. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, sorry, I keep saying G. They both start with G, don't they? Mm-hmm. Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 16. It says, Now to Abraham in his seed were the promises made. Now he said not... And to seeds, being plural there, see the S on the end? And he he said not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Okay? Thy seed. What was the promise that he made to Abraham? He said, in your seed shall all the nations be blessed. All right? So that same seed singular is the same seed of promise that God spoke way back in Genesis chapter 3. All right? And so now Paul is bringing this forward to the life of Abraham. And he's making a point here. And he finishes this point. So who's the seed? Jesus. Christ or Jesus, right. Or the anointed one, okay? Now look at verse 29 of the same chapter. Let's start at verse 26. For you are all what? Children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. In verse 29. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's Seed and heirs according to the promise. All right. So on one verse, he says. The seed was Christ's. And on the other, he says, we are of that seed if we're in Christ. Okay. so what makes us the seed of Abraham? Doing good. Being good. No, verse 26, having faith in Christ Jesus alone makes you Christ's seed, okay? So, that same seed that he's talking about is the same seed that John said in his letter. Go back to the, to the letter of, of the first epistle of John. That's that same seed that he talked about in verse 3-9. For if his seed remains in him, he cannot sin, for he's born of God. All right. Abel had this seed in him. Cain had the serpent seed in him. He slew his brother 
because his brother's works were righteous. And it's interesting because, you know, I've got a note here. It says faith and love versus pride and hate. Faith and love versus pride and hate. Cain manifested pride and hate against Abel. The serpent seed manifests murder, lies, and disbelieving the Bible. Um, listen to this. Satan's seed teaches us to hate and revenge. But Christ's seed teaches us to admire and imitate. Why didn't Cain just say, wow, Abel, I see what you've done is what pleases God. What I'm doing is not pleasing God. Why didn't he just say, I'm just going to be like you, Abel. I'm going to do what you did. Teach me. Show me how. What is it that you did that pleases God? Obviously, he's pleased with you and he's not pleased with me. But no, that's not what he did. Religion always tries to take someone out. It never humbles themselves and, con- and lets the heart be converted. Go with me to over to James chapter 4. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. James chapter 4. Verse 1. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Get you some water if you have some. James 4 verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Where do wars start? Where do they come from? Is basically what he's saying. Come they not even from your lust that war in your members? You lust and you have not, so you kill because you desire to have. You cannot obtain it, so you fight and war. Yet you have not because you ask not. All you had to do was ask. All Cain had to do was ask. He had not. But because lust war within him, he murdered his brother. When all he had to do was ask his brother, hey, what did you do there? Just a simple question. Teach me. Show me. Help me. I'm amazed. I have seven children. I'm amazed how ignorant they are to just simply say, Dad, what would you like me to do? Why is that such a hard thing for people to do? What would you like for me to do? Can I have this, please? I told you last week, Ethan, don't get in the cookies. Ethan gets in the cookies, eats my cookies. But you know something? If Ethan would have come and said, Dad, I like those cookies too, just like you. May I please have some cookies, Dad? Who could say no to that? Who could say no? But you have not because you ask not. That's what it's very simple what James is teaching here. Wars and land. You know, all this all this war that warfare that we have in the earth today that we've had for centuries, centuries. All as the people had to do was just ask, make covenant with one another. Hey, I, you have what I need. I have what you need. 
May I have some of that? Sure. May I have some of what you have? Sure. That's always been God's plan. But James nails it on the head here. He says, you don't have, and because you have lust in your heart, you go to war over it. You try to satisfy your lust through war instead of your want through asking. And then he does put a little a little disclosure here in verse 3 thinking that we can just ask for anything that we want. And this is very key when it comes to prayer. Verse 3, he says, You ask, but you receive not, because you ask amiss. In other words, your asking is off target. Why is your asking off target? Because you desire to consume what you're asking for on your own lusts. What you're asking for is actually a selfish desire. But if you're asking for the benefit of others and for what God wants in your life, you're going to get it. God has never held back a prayer. He's, Jesus told us one of the signs of the believer is, is that we have what we ask for. Amen? So that's the root kind of James 4 there gives us the little root of warfare and why we have it here. A couple more minutes here now. Stay with me. All right, so so that's the part about where war is started from. All right? Now, this thing about apostasy. Where's my phone at? Let me get it, my Webster's Dictionary. How many ever got the Webster's Dictionary I told them about? You got it? You got the 18, 1828? Look up the word, first of all, look up the word apostasy and see what you get. Apostasy. See apostasy. Apostasy. For those of you that don't have this, why they're looking that up, you can go to the website, and if you type in Webster's 1828, this is probably the best English dictionary that we have in our possession. Why? Because this is when people still thought that God belonged in the education system. They, they, they educated, back in this time, they educated children with the Bible. They used the scriptures to teach children how to read. So don't tell me that the King James Bible's too hard to understand. This is written for a sixth grade reading level. And they were teaching children even younger than this in the 1800s. They were teaching people how to read using this Bible. And then later on, when they took prayer out of the school, they had the audacity to still call what we have today the Webster's Dictionary or the Revised Webster's Dictionary, where the words and the definitions of those words are changing. You see, here's what you got to look out for, guys. God's word is not changing. The definitions of his words have never changed. What is changing is man. Man is moving away from God. And as man is moving away from God, they're taking the definitions of God's words and they're changing them to suit their own condition. That's what's happening. 
It was called the Enlightenment Movement in the 1800s when men started to worship the beast instead of the creator. When Darwin, because he liked to practice things that were unscriptural, he tried to convince a generation that we didn't come from God, that we came from animals, hence we can act like animals. But when you preach that you're created in God's image, you're expected to act as God acts. You're expected to do as God does. But when you want to tell people that they're from animals, then they have an excuse to act like animals. God's word doesn't change. That's why you've got to go back to the Webster's 1828 dictionary and get the real definitions of God's language in this book here. We have an apostasy in America today. And it's not taking God by surprise. As a matter of fact, God has warned us through the scriptures a long time ago. Turn with me over to the book of 2 Thessalonians. Those of you that missed the Thessalonian study, it was pretty awesome. And uh, I think we got that on tape on the podcast. And um, we really had, really got a, had a good time with this book. And in 2 Thessalonians, there's a neat little chronology that God gives us here. Um, in uh, 2 Thessalonians. Now remember, there's two Thessalonians. And if you're ever trying to find books in the Bible, in the New Testament, all the T's are together. First and second Thessalonians, Titus, first and second Timothy, they're all together. All right. So if you remember, all the T's are together. And then you got those other small letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Right. You can remember God's electric power company. God's electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right? And then you always know we got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all right? And so that's how you remember. So then all the T's are together, right? And then after the T's, you've got James and Peter. Just think if they were Hebrews, they were Jewish guys, James, Peter, and John, and then we got the book of Revelation. All right, so it's kind of easy, easy, easy way of going about it. Hebrews, exactly, Hebrews. Thank you, brother. All right, so in 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in, um, where are we at here? 2 Thessalonians. I thought I had marked it up in my Bible here. Let me give me a minute while I try to find it real quick. I know there is. Yeah, I keep going over this. Hold on a minute. Yes, there we go. We're going to be in the second chapter. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. You guys there? All right. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. 
And we learned when we studied this book that the rapture, actually, if you study that out, it just means the great assembly or the gathering. And we saw that that's what they called it when the, all the tribes of Israel would assemble themselves together at Jerusalem for the holy days. And when we come together as a church, we are prophetically, symbolically saying that one day we will all attend the great assembly when Christ comes yeah. back for his whole church. But right now, we're gathering together in separate little camps, but one day, we will all be gathered together unto Him. So that's why the Lord's Day is so important, that when we come together as church, we are actually saying, one day, Lord, we will all assemble. One day, we will all be together. And so on Sunday, I don't want to be at home on the couch watching football. Because I'll tell you what, when the Lord comes back, and the whole assembly goes to meet him in the air. I don't want to be the guy left down here watching football. I don't want to miss the assembly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prophetically make myself come to the assembly on Sunday so that I will keep myself pure, keep myself ready for the coming of the Lord. And I will not fall into apostasy. So he says in verse 2, he says, I'm writing unto you concerning our gathering together unto him that you be not soon shaken in your mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by a letter, as if supposing it had come from us concerning the day of Christ or that the day of Christ, excuse me, my wife's chilly. Sorry about that. I should never eat before Bible study. <laughs> nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that that day of Christ is at hand. All right? So, let no man deceive you, he's saying here. For that day shall not come, except there come a what? A falling away first. That same word that Brother Clark shared with us. Apostasia is the word there. It's translated falling away here. Except there come an apostasia. There will, the Jesus Christ will not come back for his church until the apostasy ha starts to happen. A falling away happens. Is that some of the tares coming out? What's that? Would that be some of the tares coming out of the wheat field? No, because the tares, remember, are going to happen in the harvest. Remember, in the last days, there's going to be the harvest when all the dead will rise. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then the wicked or the, the, the dead, then they'll rise. And that great harvest is when God will separate the tares from the wheat. That's what he was talking about there. This here, the rapture, is the... The harvest of the resurrection, the harvest of the, of the believers, all right, is the first part. And so that's what he's talking about here when it comes, when we're talking about the rapture, all right? It's a little more detailed than that, but for the sake of the time, I'm just going to leave it at that. I could, I could go off onto a tangent on that for a while, but I'm going to be here till 11 if I do. Okay, so just remember though, that day shall not come except there be in a fallen away first, all right? So there's a falling away of, 
of people that are not really Christians. And we're seeing that today. It's becoming more and more prevalent. All right? And if you study this out, if you read this entire down to probably verse 12 here, the Lord gives us the, the he gives us a few events. Let's let's name them real quick. In verse 3 he says, the day of Christ or the rapture will not happen except there come a falling away first. And then look what this says. He says, the man of sin be revealed or the son of perdition. That's another event. That's when the Antichrist will be revealed on the earth. The Antichrist. Remember when we talked about the word Antichrist, we have the, 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 the world leader that is Satan incarnate. We also have Antichrist spirits. And then we, you know, we, we talked about the three different words for Antichrist there. Verse 4, it says, Those who oppose and exalt himself above all that is God or is worshipped, so that he is God, sits in the what? The temple of God. Is there a temple of God today right now? Do the Jews have a temple? No, they do not. The Jews have not had a temple to worship in since 70 AD. Jesus prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. But he's also saying here that he, the man of sin is going to set himself up in the temple. So what does that mean? It means a temple is going to have to be built. So another, for a man, for the man of sin. So, it, so that's another event. The temple is going to have to be built. There's going to have to be a temple built. They're still arguing about where it belongs. But one day they're going to figure it out and a temple is going to be built. Well, yeah, the real temple is coming down, brother. You're right. All right. Now, in verse five, he says, remember this. I told you these things when I was with you. Okay. Now, verse six, he says, now you know. What withholds or what restraineth that he might be revealed in his time. That who might be revealed in his time? The man of sin or the Antichrist. He said, I told you last time I was with you what keeps the man of sin being revealed. What keeps the man of sin being revealed? The Holy Ghost that abides and dwells in the church. That's what keeps the man of sin. You keep the man of sin from being revealed. You. You're the church, right? The Holy Ghost in you is what restrains all wickedness from hitting the earth. The church, remember, what did he say the church is? We're the light. We're the salt of the earth. We are what preserves righteousness in the earth. But when that righteousness is lifted out of the earth... Then it will make way for the man of sin to come. But before righteousness can be lifted from the earth, a great falling away will happen first. Because what we are seeing now in our day is a great filter process where God is separating the believers from the make-believers. As they say, the men from the mice. The sheep from the goats. And how does he separate this? Those that hold fast to the doctrines of the apostles. That's how we know who is a believer and who is not. Amen. Amen. So now we know, even though he has not listed those events that I told you about there chronologically in this chapter. If you study these events with the whole word of God, 
you will see that that is the order that they fall into. Okay, and that's what you need to be aware of when you study this chapter. You know, remember, Timothy told us that we should rightly divide the word of God. We cannot just take pieces of scripture from other pieces of scripture. We have to have the whole Bible. The Bible interprets itself. Amen. So when you study these things out, you will see that they fall in that in that order. So. Having said that, back over to the last verse we're going to stud- do in first in our back in our epistle here, and we're and I'm done. I've gone long enough. He says right here in verse thirteen. First John three thirteen. In lieu of what all I said tonight, okay. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. For we know that we have passed from death unto life. Marvel not if you run into the canes. And our job is not to go out and buy a couple AR-15s and four cases of ammo and 20 cases of pork and beans and all the water we can get our hands on. I'm sorry. There's a movement of militia that's going on in the earth today to think that they're going to fight the fight, the real fight, until Jesus comes. I don't see that in the Bible. Now, here's my position. Here's how I'm going to live my the rest of my life until Jesus comes. I'm going to live for this Bible. I'm going to live for this Bible. And when they tell me that I can't read this Bible or use this Bible or preach this Bible anymore, I'm going to die for this Bible. I'm not going to go buy me more guns and more ammo and more food and lock myself up on a mountain somewhere and and, and fight people away from me. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because that's not what Jesus did. That's not what the apostles did when they they came to try to take Jesus and Peter lifted up the sword to try to fight a religious war for Jesus. He told Peter, no, Peter. He said, if you live by the sword, you shall die by the sword. When Tyndale, he ran, he, he, he ran for his life as long as he could. And they finally caught him when they caught Tyndale, you didn't find him with a bunch of soldiers and swords and, and, and cannons and, 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 and grenades and all this kind of stuff. No, he died for what he believed in. And I don't know when the Lord's going to come. But I know one thing. This Bible has already promised me that I have passed from death unto life. Hallelujah. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm already alive. I'm already in the next world as far as God's concerned. And I should not have to worry about maintaining this life when I know I have already passed into the next life. Amen. Amen. And if standing up for God means that we need to lose what we have on this, this, this temporary body, then so be it. That's my position. That's the way I see it. I'm not, it's not mandatory that you prescribe to that position to be a member of Christian Life Center. But I'm telling you, As far as I see it, that's the way they done it back then. 
And we may have to do it again.